Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's up? How are things? I don't know if it was your impassioned plea last week or if it's just been a really good month for folks who listen to us, but I want to give a shout out to everyone who became a donor in the last week. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. We had we, we had some, some new folks join the Patreon. We did. So thank you very much. I've got their names here. And so I actually want to just say their names. And if I don't say your name, it's because I'm not going to say your full name. But then there's some people that only use emails. So there's some anonymous here, right? But it's like Matthew, Quinn, Michelle, Chris, Stacy. Like, thank you. Thank you. And thanks thank to everyone you. else, of course, who's an ongoing donor. <laughs> um, you folks make this happen. And... We, uh, I mean, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but like, we really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> we do. And also, thanks for sending us so much love this week, too, on, on Twitter. I feel like um, yes. we had some, we had quite a bit of love on Twitter. We like to, to see that. So, you know, continue to give us feedback. All of the feedback you've got, we'll take it. Yeah. And suggestions and so on. We love it. Thank you. Yeah. And criticism, too. You know, if you're, I mean, it's not, it's like hard to criticize us. So I get it that it's not. <laughs> we like the conflict <laughs> send us dramatic tweets <laughs> should we should we glance should we turn in the direction of the updates on the the like most exciting boring political scandal <laughs> that Canada has ever seen yes yes I think I think so because I think that there's still a lot of confusion because it's like someone like Amanda Alvaro who's like a PR best friend liberal thing is getting like retweeted at like 500 fucking times by like partisan hacks and maybe some trolls I think people are a little bit confused about um this new information that came from an anonymous leak Mm -hmm. I mean which which new information that came from an anonymous leak and let me just be clear before (laughs) all of you who are like oh my god this is like so oversaturated turn off this podcast we're not going to be talking about this for the entire podcast don't we're just glancing Mm -mm. we're just taking a look (laughs) and then we're going to move on okay we promise 60 seconds (laughs) 60 seconds of snc and then we're going to something yeah okay go a lot of the new news that's coming out is uh, related to uh, anonymous leaks. And a lot of the anonymous leaks are being are, are, are showing that Jody Wilson-Raybould is... I mean, I feel like I can read a script for uh, criticism that I know you've received personally, Sandy. It's like, difficult to work with, bossy, <laughs> unprofessional, didn't do her job right. Like, all of these kinds of, like, buzzwords that you just know are coming from they're only coming from one place they can only come from the prime minister's office or someone related to it or someone who used to work for them Mm -hmm. but it's anonymous Mm -hmm. it's anonymous we don't know who it's coming from and it sounds like there's a consensus forming that jody wilson raybould was not fit for the job Mm -hmm. and you know there was that one leak that was i just thought was so bizarre of you know uh, there was a disagreement over um a a a pick for a judicial appointment and that leak seemed to try to position Jody Wilson-Raybould as a as someone who was in favor of uh, 
of someone who is like, like they were trying to make her out to be uh, supportive of, of like the Canadian Kavanaugh is how the leak was first reported. And it was just so <laughs> obvious that it was like this like weird, weird reach from probably the PMO's office. And it's like, just know that when you're hearing about these leaks, that all the leaks are coming from a location. <laughs> okay. So yeah. just be you know we're just here to help you with your media literacy none of this stuff happens in some sort of weird vacuum where oops someone left someone just left this tape out or oops uh, you know <laughs> someone accidentally left their notes about jody wilson raybould on the floor in front of the bathroom you know like it's it's like a strategic political campaign and just think to yourself when you see them who does this benefit the most uh, to know what the players are really doing? Yep. That's an FSNC. Well, it's an FSNC, but I think the segue from what, what SNC has reminded us again and again and again and what we're going to talk about this episode is the unbearable whiteness of the Canadian media. <laughs> it is so unbearable. But, you know, thankfully <laughs> there's more and more hard pay walls going up so we can just all <laughs> avoid <laughs> all of it. Totally. No, that's, it's terrible, which, but that is a thing that's happening more now and I'm annoyed by it because we can't just all buy all, all of the subscriptions. No. I want, I want to consume all the news. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Sorry, Go back to episode whatever annoyed. for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is uh, white supremacy in the media and some of the manifestations of that that has happened in the last week or so. There was a, a Twitter essay or a Twitter montage uh, from the first rally that was very, very helpful that showed like the press warming a single racist at an anti-racist rally. And I think I think that that probably and that was retweeted a lot. I wish I, I knew who did it. If you were the one who did it and you want credit on the show, you like just direct message me and we'll do that next week or maybe in two weeks. <laughs> and um, and I think that that got into people's minds in a, in a very concrete way how this works, that the that the press is more interested in the minority position, as in not like people who are minorities, because that is not what the press cares about the the they're interested in this uh like painting these things as equal fights or as a as a tennis match or or whatever and so they swarm the 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 soul or the lone white supremacist and so a couple weeks later there's this rally of racists and uh one week later in fact right and uh, anti-racist activists show up and then pam Seidel freaks out and tweets how she's like totally afraid of the anti-racist activists pam Seidel, who you know, if you're around our age, you've probably seen her on your television since you were quite young <laughs> and wondering, oh, wow, she's still here. <laughs> what a career. Good for you, Pam, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the context there is that the anti-racist activists were trying to tell her, like, hey, <laughs> just note that when you are talking to these people and you're elevating them, you are providing them with a platform, you're mainstreaming them, please know. And, you know, they were impassionedly telling her this because obviously people are rightfully terrified of the way that um, mainstreaming of hate uh, results in real world consequences 
uh, for some of us more than the rest of us. And so counter-protesters at the white supremacist rally were telling Pam Seidel, what are you doing? Like, think about what you're doing here. And and she, <laughs> oh man, she responded in uh, ex- exactly the way that white supremacists bank on people like mm-hmm. her responding. Mm-hmm. It's like part of their strategy where she was like, oh my goodness, you know, they wouldn't, all these, these people who were telling me uh, to, who were swarming me and telling me, like, I'm just trying to do my job. Like, you were the ones who were scaring me. You're the only ones out here who were scaring me, which she could only say from a position of not really truly being affected yeah. <laughs> by by a, a swarm of white supremacist uh, demonstrators uh, making their presence known and endangering the lives of anyone who would be affected by their political organizing. Mm-hmm. And so she's now since apologized. And so has City TV or City News to say that uh, this was not, you know, it didn't meet their journalistic standards or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I my position here is that we are fully existing in a world where these types of apologies don't really mean much. I don't want to really hear an apology uh, from from City News, though of course that is absolutely part of what they should be doing. I want to know how they're going to change, fundamentally change their approach to the news to ensure that, one, that sort of mainstreaming doesn't happen anymore. And yeah, sure, two, that journalists don't then comment on it, like, you know, firmly on the side of white supremacists that, you know, sure, I need an apology for that. But I but I, I am more interested in knowing how the media is going to address their very dangerous mainstreaming of this stuff because it becomes clickbait. And because it becomes clickbait, it's profitable because of the way that the internet works. And so what are we going to do? What are y'all going to do? media who's listening <laughs> to address this problem uh, because you're a huge as we keep saying on this program you're a huge part of the problem yeah I want to unpack a little bit more like the idea that the apologies are are not going to change anything because you know you can look at you can look at racism in the Canadian media in two different ways either there are some people in uh, media who, through sins of omission or commission, they are either outwardly racist or they're not speaking up uh, when something happens to defend coworkers or to speak out against racism or to speak out about how coverage is, is happening. Or, as you just you know alluded to, that there's actually a structural problem with the Canadian media. And the media landscape is racist to its core. And it's not mm-hmm. enough to ask someone to apologize or to ask a a station to apologize or to ask an individual reporter to speak up when the organization that they work for profits from maintaining a system of white supremacy in Canada. And I don't know, like, I I think that this is what we probably should uh, 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 tease out for people for the rest of the show, because maybe if maybe this is too abstract the way that I'm describing this, but, you know, we've got 
we've got national media who are directly embedded with a political orientation, usually the conservatives, sometimes it's the liberals. They're they're embedded with a status quo, right? They're 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 deeply conservative organizations, a small C conservative, like they don't want to rock the boat. They want to make sure that, you know, money's coming mm-hmm. in. It's a it's an industry under stress or whatever. And under those conditions, what happens is that they they entrench and amplify white supremacist discourse throughout every single thing that they do from running mugshots of people of black people who have been victims of crime to dehumanizing language of indigenous Mm -hmm. people to what makes the front page and what doesn't make the front page to oh i don't know like something i experienced (laughs) with the whole humble thing right like it it is so Mm -hmm. deeply embedded Mm -hmm. in in the canadian media that i think that what we get caught up on is kind of two discussions one is representation like the the, we need it's so important representation it's like yeah representation is important but also as important as is interrogating and deconstructing the actual structures themselves that (laughs) that are maintaining white supremacy and then on the second discussion on these on these on these mea culpas or these apologies or these um speaking out if possible because again it it's i think that these are easier Mm -hmm. and so that's what people focus focus on Mm -hmm. i think you're right and I think, you know, like the apology, like I, I get that that folks were really upset about uh, Pam Seidel's response. But like, I think what you're pointing to here is that, you know, it's not really a, it's not really about her. Like her response is indicative of the entire like journalistic approach to the entire issue. <laughs> right. Yeah. And 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 I think. I want to see something like what the Associated Press did last week, where the Associated Press has changed their style book to say that it is time to, and, and the Associated Press style guide is a style guide that's used um, throughout America with, with uh, some of the largest news organizations. And you know we have, a, we have a similar style guide, the Canadian Press style guide, that is now, has now been changed to say that Journalists should stop using the term racially motivated, should call something racist when it is racist. It has new updates with how to refer to people uh, of particular races and to like do it firmly and to think uh, more about how to approach the discussion of race and how to discuss hatred and superiority in that you should just do it very directly. Uh, because the way that journalists, and, and that to me reflects a thought at the AP, at the Associated Press, that the way that the media is covering these things right now is uh, taking a side. <laughs> if you say something is not quite racist or might be racist or suggests racism, racialism, or racial, racial thought, whatever, you know, all the different euphemisms that are used, you're saying that it's that it's not racist. It's making a value judgment on it, um, even when it's like so obviously racist. And that uh, helps white supremacists, guys. And I, I hope that uh, what's happening at the AP is that they've realized that and have now made a, a pretty significant institutional change as to what how the news should talk about racism. <laughs> and... Of course, it's not the only thing that needs to happen. There's a whole bunch that needs to happen. But I want to see from City News, 
Um, and from all the reporters who were in the week previous at the other rally interviewing the one, the very few slash one um, uh, white supremacists who came to the uh, anti-racism rally, like I want to, I want to know what you folks are going to change to address your culpability, implication, complicitness in the way that white supremacy has been mainstreamed. The Associated Press changing its style guide to to stop people from saying racially motivated is so confusing if you know anything about how journalism is supposed to work, which is that it's supposed to be accurate. <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, why the fuck do you need to say in a style guide that you have to stop saying something was racially motivated? It's like mm-hmm. you're supposed to be you're supposed to write directly. You're supposed to write in the active voice and you're supposed to be accurate and the like it it, this is this is much broader than I think just how journalists write about racism I think this how journalists write about racism is definitely a part of this but there's there's a a, a smarmy lack of clear of clear explanations of the forces that are really hurting people in society whether that is the everything that comes with colonialism and neocolonialism and resource extraction or cutting the public sector, there's the 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 use of imprecise language and the and the and the inability of journalists to name what is happening in clear terms is what helps to make fake news so attractive. And I I just don't fucking understand how people don't see this. It's like or how some people don't see this. It's like people feel like they're being lied to not because they're being lied to but because they know that they're being sold a a fucking lie or they're being sold a <laughs> line you know and you can see this in you can see this in in so many things and how and how issues get covered right there's no proportionality usually when you've got a multifaceted debate the journalists never really like identify it if there's an organization that's going through a, a debate that there might be 80% in favor of one thing but it still looks like a he said she said on the on the paper or 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 not naming things like household debt or uh the real economic anxiety that exists like among people and and at least huge gaps for someone like Doug Ford or Jason Kenney to be to exploit the fuck out of people's real anxieties because they're not actually being reflected their reality is not reflected in these in these the narratives that come out of our our mainstream news partly because they don't really want us to ask really critical questions like I get asked all the time like Nora how do you how do you come up with this like really critical kind of perspective on stuff and it's like it's not actually hard. <laughs> I mean, it's really <laughs> fucking obvious, actually. I don't know if I've had a, a, a fucking uh, a road to Damascus moment where I'm like, whoa, the scales have fallen from my eyes. Or I have an epiphany here. No, it's really obvious stuff. And there's a reason why I'm not writing for Canadian outlets other than the National Observer and, and other people like me, right? It's like, if you start to challenge the system, this system feels threatened and the media is part of the system mm-hmm. and I don't think that we we talk about that and well you and I talk about it enough but I don't think that the Canadian society has this discussion enough 
Mm-hmm. And but also there's this like really romantic notion that the the media is somehow exists somewhat apart from the system and is you know looking looking at the system and revealing things about the system, which I think you know. <laughs> Especially through this SNC Lavel and stuff, we know that that's not the the case, right? Catholic English, uh. whatever you think about how your newspaper is not the mouthpiece of whomever, <laughs> if you know after this week that that ain't so true. Yeah, I think that there's this this romantic idea that 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 that's what's happening, and I just just like you know, if you're if you're watching this show. At, or if you're if you're watching the show, <laughs> yeah, just edit that out, okay? Maybe one day. <laughs> no, if you're if you're listening to the news or watching the news or reading the news, and you you know about something racist that has happened, and you constantly hear it referred to as something else, especially if you are like black, you you become super cynical about the entire way that the media landscape looks because you know that you're not. I mean, it, this is what you're saying, right? You know that you're not hearing th- the truth, and. It's it's really bizarre. I think par- part of the thing that, that hit me with Pam Seidel is it's like it's really bizarre that she can't see that. It's really bizarre to me that she can't mm-hmm. see that, but it's because she's so you know, you know this this stuff doesn't affect her in the same way, and she's I suppose not willing to to take a look at it or hasn't been willing to take a look at it until maybe this week. Who knows? Maybe she is now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but like, what a bizarre thing to, for the news to be, be reporting to you. Um, myths. <laughs> myths of racially charged um, and, you know, perhaps racially motivated and so on. Myths of two sides to the story. Myths of uh, let's, you know, there's there's very fine people on both sides and uh, there's arguments to be made in in all quarters, and you you're sitting there knowing that what that that means is uh, like an indictment on your very existence, and other people can't see that, and that's really bizarre. It becomes a really s- cynical exercise to listen to and take the news seriously. You can't really do that, knowing that on these topics the Canadian media gets it so wrong every time very consistently and so it's 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 going to take more than a than a couple apologies because this stuff is going to continue if the way that the media decides to report on uh you know everything from these hateful acts to how carding works in halifax uh to how anti-racist organizers are organizing in london to whether racism exists, which, you know, every once in a while there's a column on how dare you say that racism exists at Ryerson, for example, as you talked about recently on this show, um, you know, like huh. that stuff yeah. is going to continue so long as the the way that the media apparatus is set up doesn't change and continues to just ignore uh the truth, actually, just reporting straight up fact. And so, you know, it just seems so fucking obvious uh, yeah. that it's it's something really needs to, to change. We're in like a world where the Internet has exacerbated the consequences of not being aware 
of how shitty this type of reporting is. Uh, it has exacerbated the consequences to the point of, you know, men on the internet being inspired by one another to, after mainstreaming these hateful ideologies, kill people. And so we, you know, like, it is imperative that news organizations understand that this is more than just someone's idiotic responses after uh, a stupid approach to covering an, a, a white supremacist rally. This is like way, way deeper than that. Yeah. And requires way more attention than that and way more change than that. Yeah, well, because because think of what, like everything that would have led to this moment for someone like Pam Seidel to be on the street and being all like, oh, my God, it's anti-racist activists who I'm afraid of. Like she's an anchor or not an anchor or maybe she's anchored. Fuck, I don't know. She's a personality at City TV in Toronto and has been forever. And how do you cover the city of Toronto forever, cover crime and cover politics and cover what's happening and to not instantly understand that white supremacists want to expel, hurt, or actually kill racialized people in the city of Toronto. Like this is mm. this is this is why the apology is not that useful because it's like how do you exist in this space for twenty fucking years or thirty years or whatever fucking long she's been there? And mm -hmm. that to still be her reaction. That that shows that there's um such a massive disconnect between her and and average people and or her and her audience or her and who she's supposed to be serving and and it's not just her you can make parallels between D D John Tory and every shit decision that he's made for the city of Toronto and how completely disconnected he is absolutely now this past week something else happened that um I'm not sure if you saw but uh, Jason Kenney's got this problem. I don't know if you've heard it. I'm sure you've heard that he's got uh, a problem with like uh, hateful people in his party. <laughs> what? I know. I know. You you must be lying. Mm -mm. I can't even lie this hard. It's so obvious. So is one of those hateful people himself? Yes. Yes. I think he's probably Continue. the most. <laughs> the most hateful. Right. He mm -hmm. had a star candidate named Kaylin Ford who got nailed because she was uh, making comments that supported basically white supremacy, like straight up. Nothing that that nothing veiled, uh, nothing hidden. She was proud, like worried about. She's basically continuing the great tradition of Canadian Fords in politics. Minus Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Hey, Tiffany, if you're listening. <laughs> so Kaylin gets invited onto Danielle Smith's radio show. Danielle Smith was the former leader of the Wild Rose Party, which was the far right party in Alberta. And of course, uh, they got uh, taken over by the Conservative Party, which is now Jason Kenney's thing. And she was given a full hearing to talk about why what she was saying was not white supremacy. It was even though it was straight up white supremacy. And Bashir Muhammad, who people will know as a prolific tweeter, as, a, as someone who has really great research about the racist history of Edmonton and Al Alberta specifically and in other parts of Canada, but, but really uh, great history in Alberta. He has been trying to make this into an issue because it should be an issue. 
And it's again, it's not. This is not turned into national news that a white supremacist who who has who's lost the ability to run because what she was saying was so horrible is invited onto a radio show to just continue to promote her like her point of view it's like what so bizarre and also reminds me of you know this week was it this week or last week i can't remember now everything's happening so quickly that facebook has decided okay we're gonna do our best we're gonna make it our policy to deplatform white supremacists um, including those who term themselves white nationalists which was a distinction that earlier facebook thought was an important distinction to make <laughs> it's not um, so now they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of all the groups and all the all the pages and everything that reference both, uh, you know, some sort of support for white supremacy and white nationalism. Great. So you know, I'm doing my dishes, listening to the National on CBC as I am wont to do these days, and they the the National is reporting on this, and then they start I, and. I don't know if this was a direct, I think it was a direct interview. Um, but again, I was washing my dishes. So I was like halfway there, halfway not. And then I turn around and they're, they're showing response from a white supremacist. who's like, you know, we're going to get on other platforms. They can't stop us forever. Like, you know, the internet's <laughs> a big wide world out there. We're going to get out there and we're, they're not going to silence us. You know, they're trying to shut us down, but these are real people with real life. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Facebook literally says to the world, guys, we are part of the problem. We cannot be giving a, a platform uh, to these people to spread their hate. And CBC is like, hey, white supremacists, how do you feel about this? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. It's just it's just so wild. I, you know, I... You know, like, let's, let's think about other social issues and other social hatred ills um, that that aren't white supremacy and racism. Can we imagine that sort of uh, discussion happening for, uh, oh my God, like you can think of all sorts of uh, heinous things that happen in society. Would we, um, you know, give a platform to rape apologists, to uh, people who believe in uh, pedophilia or you know whatever would be would be say okay and now let's hear reaction from like it's it doesn't make any sense it's bizarre and the and the the reason why it 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 seems so so i guess normal to to the people who are doing production in these newsrooms is because they don't even realize that they're like so embedded in the white supremacy of it all <laughs> it's just like how could you think that giving a platform, I mean, but this is what's been happening, right? Like, this is why uh, people like the infamous TA from Laurier, whose name escapes me right the fuck now, and Jordan Peterson, and all of those people to get the, the type of play that they got in Canadian media for, you know, and you know, for so long and continuing to this day, is because of the way that uh, the Canadian media has responded to people like this weird Kalen Ford and you know uh, the way that they didn't respond to the the yellow fucking jackets <laughs> uh, <laughs> of Canada, like it's 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 all part of this media landscape and this media institution in this country that 
at its very best, just wants to avoid telling the truth when it comes to race and white supremacy, and at its worst, is actively amplifying and providing uh, a mainstream pathway uh, for white supremacist ideology. Yes, because that's because that's Canada. You know, it's like that is that is exactly what this country still is. And there are still far too many people who either ignore it or who individualize it. And so it's like ignoring it's the worst and indiv- individualizing it's like the second worst. And, and, and you refuse to see those like how those structures interact, how um, gatekeeping uh keeps people in line from speaking out how um how increasing precarity in the media makes it really hard for people to get into positions that they're in and so you know they're going to be on their best behavior (laughs) for obvious reasons because you feel like you're not going to get this chance ever again Mm -hmm. it's just layer on layer on layer and everything like it's like it is getting fucking worse Mm mm-hmm I don't know if you've been following Goldsby's uh, stream on all of this. Goldsby, Jonathan Goldsby, who writes for Canada Land, he, uh, after news broke, kind of puts a lot of stuff together online. And so a lot of what I'm what I'm going to say right now is drawn from what I saw on him on Twitter, and he's turned it into an article. So there's a new editor-in-chief in Canada. I don't know if you've heard about this. The Post Media chain now owns all of the Sun newspapers across Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, the you know the Toronto Sun's editor in chief is Adrian is Adrian Batra, and so she was famously the director of communications for Doug Ford. And Post Media just announced that they're hiring uh, Mark Tui to be the editor in chief of the Sun newspapers. So like the whole bunch of chains from the Edmonton Sun to the Ottawa Sun to whatever. D- the Mark Tui. <laughs> yeah. So. What? So in case you aren't from Toronto circa like fucking the Doug Ford era, Mark Tui uh, is not a Rob Ford era. Like <laughs> the Doug again? Nora, you keep fucking them up. Yeah. That's how much I care about these two fucking pieces of shit, right? Yeah. So you can just call them both Kaylin. <laughs> That's right. So Mark <laughs> is um is what? He uh, he is not a journalist. He has no journalistic experience. And he's going to become the editor-in-chief of these newspapers. He uh, is... He was Rob Ford's chief of staff. He was Rob Ford's chief of staff. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And was constantly the guy like running interference for Doug, for, for Doug Ford. Oh Rob Ford. Duh! You even did it right that time, and I totally still fucking yeah. yeah. And so he, um, and he, and so he's getting this job, and uh, you know he uh, he's got some nice corruption in his background. You should definitely took take a look at the at the Goldsby article. Wow, I totally missed this news. This must have happened while I, while we were doing the open house for the the new Black Legal Action Center. Yes. What? When did this happen? Yes, it was it was late last week. It could have very well just been Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. And then here's okay. the best part of of uh, what Goldsby reports. So Tui is replacing a guy called James Wallace, who left in January. Okay. To become. What do you think James Wallace has just gotten his new job as? Oh, I. Like oh, guess. I mean. Oh my god. You'll I, probably just get I, it. Is he a political operative now? Oh yeah, yeah. What kind and for who? 
Is he running? Is he running a campaign for someone? Nope. Is he writing policy? Just tell me. What is it? I can't take this. He is the deputy chief of staff in charge of policy and strategic communications for Ontario Premier Doug Ford. <laughs> so they just did like they just did like a little swap thing. <laughs> exactly. What? So yes, Pam Seidel can apologize. Fine, right? But we have like what? <laughs> we have actual like shitheads who who uh who have maintained the worst of the worst of of Ontario politics, of Toronto politics, of of some of the worst political examples in all of Canada, and they gleefully slide in and out of the media regardless of their background and regardless of if they're actually journalists and and this the it's these decisions that then trickle down through the rest of the world of journalism to help keep people in line determine what journalistic standards and norms are and should be and and in the case of the of the of the, of the sun empire which of course is now post media mm-hmm. which is now the post empire yeah <laughs> yeah constantly dragging that frame of what's acceptable to the right just non-stop and there's no counterbalance to that power like the toronto star is not the counterbalance to that power the toronto star is like oh, okay oh, oh we're just against four because we're like for the liberals right it is <laughs> bad it is so fucking bad well thankfully you know the the uh, the budget that was announced recently has a measure in there to like save Canadian news and to to make all of this go away. Uh, I like it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. I'm I'm lying. I I'm not opposed to public funding, but I mean, giving money to layer this fucking shit pile even higher in its own shit seems like not the smartest idea. Mm-hmm. And maybe at some point we should like break down what that promise actually was um, very briefly, not on this episode, but. You know, I don't know what what it's really going to do to save a lot of people, a lot of uh, media, but it's certainly not addressing um, all of the problems that we have in in the media uh, that the public needs addressed. Like, <laughs> God, yeah, wow, like literally, the, the these conservative operatives are just moving in between post media and writing policy for fucking terrible politicians there's there's a better descriptor word there that i should have used like fucked up white supremacists <laughs> um heinous like there's so many good yeah. words but i i used terrible and i'm feeling weird about that but in any case uh are literally moving between working for these people writing these policies and and directing not just writing news but directing the news <laughs> Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, it's one thing to get mad about a Pam Seattle, but the, when a scrum runs towards someone with a microphone, there's an, there's an, an effect, right? Other people join in. And when um, you have multiple news outlets under the post-media brand who are scrumming, who are directing the questions, who are putting certain kinds of logic into the mix into for other journalists like this is an ecosystem and the ecosystem everyone has a role everyone plays a role in this ecosystem and the impact of the of the 
of the massive post-media influence on our public discourse, on, on getting the conservatives elected, on maintaining support for the conservatives, it cannot be understated. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and let me tell you another way that white supremacy works, right? And more of the, the subtle ways that white supremacy works. Like, if, if you are a political operative and you're going into an election year, a federal election year, and you need some sort of scandal or you need some sort of, uh, you know, political issue to become news to assist in your campaign, it's really helpful to be able to call up someone like Tui if you're a conservative actor or Robin or Beck. And have the, those, those connections in white na- whiteness assist you in getting the news that you want um, told in the way that you want it told to create a story. Because media can create stories. They'll tell you that they're only reporting on stories as they come up. But no, a lot of the media creates stories. And people like Tui who don't have a background in journalism, there's a reason why they're put into this type of position of power. Yep. It's because other people in positions of power want them there. That's another way that white supremacy works. Yeah. So thanks for the apology, Pam. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it would be much better if City TV could start yeah. investigating the Toronto Sun. That'd be fucking useful. <laughs> Do some fucking journalism Ooh. on yourselves. Yeah, please.